Pray with me. Father, we come to you today in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have celebrated you in song. We have celebrated you in your word. We've celebrated you in prayer. We've celebrated you with our children. And all of these things we celebrate because you are worthy. You are good. You are righteous and holy. Your mercies never cease. They are new every morning. Your faithfulness is great. And so as a gathered body, we confess the great confession, Jesus Christ is Lord. We rest in that truth. We rejoice in it. And we repeat it over and over so that it may grow our faith and encourage us. Father, we pray today that by the grace and mercy of Jesus, your word would be received. First, in my heart, as a proclaimer who needs the nourishment of what you say, that I may know who you are and grow in your likeness, and show what you are like to others. And then, Father, by the whole of those who are gathered, first the believers, Lord, give them receptive hearts, as James says, to receive the word that it may be implanted, that it can be lived out and we won't just be hearers and not doers. And then for any unbeliever, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, prick their conscience, their heart, their mind, their soul, and pour into them the good news of Jesus Christ that they may believe. Do the work of your glorious Holy Spirit. And in all today, Father, may you be glorified. May the saints be edified. And maybe leave today rejoicing. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, it's so good to be together. I love being with you and sharing the Lord's Word. And I love you. And I count it a privilege to gather with you and to celebrate the Lord Jesus together and to rejoice in His goodness I'm asking that you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 8. While you're turning there, just really want to encourage our ladies and men to come out tonight. Guys, we have a study that I think is going to build up and encourage our faith. And ladies, you have two great Bible teachers that are going to be leading you starting tonight with a dear friend of mine from Natchez, Dorothy Sylvester. I think she's one of the finest Bible teachers in the South. She loves to teach women and do ministry with women. And then after that, our own Polly Brinker will be leading you, and I'm really delighting in 
that as well. And so God is blessing us in our time together tonight. Our Jeremiah study that we've been having in the sanctuary, you have two options on that. One is we're going to continue that in our Wednesday night group. So if you're really just hankering for that and you're not in choir or working with the kids or having small group on Wednesday, we love for you to be there. But we will pick that back up in the fall. And one of the small groups we'll be doing will be the meeting here in the sanctuary in the fall. And I'll pick us up in Jeremiah and walk us all the way, God willing, to Christmas. So we started in this study talking about equipping you. We kind of talked about survival and I brought Lainey's bug out bag up here and showed it to you and talked about there's some essentials that you need. And Romans 8 is kind of like the bug out bag for the believer. It's a, it's a great survival kit for you with so many essential, great, and encouraging doctrines. Today we're going to pick up three particular things, talk about those. Um, those things are that we've got to deal with our fears. In order for us to be able to work in this world as believers effectively, in ministry, and service. We've got to deal with our fears. The second thing we'll talk about today is we've got to settle on God's fatherhood. That He is indeed Abba Father, Daddy to all who are in Christ. And we should be comforted, encouraged, and strengthened. And our faith should grow as a result of that. And then we've got to reckon with some things about our future. So that's kind of our key words today. The word fear, the word father, and the word future. You'll see how Paul talks about all three of those in our text today. So let's jump right in to number one. I've had trouble with my little clicker. We're going to find out if it's working today. Hey, that's good. I even found out today that reverse is working on it. How about that? That's really great. You get a little tool and it's just really great. So, Paul raises the issue of our fears. Now, there's a reason for this. There's a twofold reason that Paul is raising this. One is falling back into old patterns, and I'll talk about those in a second, that were based on fear, that that we operated in our religion out of fear, and that that really wasn't a healthy thing. You've got Adam and Eve in the garden, after they sin, kind of start the first religious service by sewing up some fig leaves and trying to hide from God. And they run out into the woods, sew these fig leaves up, and God says, what are you doing? They said, well, we were afraid of you. And then you get to the giving of the law on the mountain, and God rumbles and shakes and quakes, and fire, and thunder, and lightning, as God is giving the law. And the people look at Moses and say, you need to be an interpreter for God, because we're scared to even hear His voice. You come and tell us what He says, because we cannot bear to listen. We are full of fear. And so Paul doesn't want us to fall back into that. There's also the problem of fear of just being afraid of the future, just being afraid of what's coming next, being afraid of all of the things that people are afraid of, death and 
sickness and illness and persecution and rejection and all of the things that could come. And so there's kind of this falling back into fear and then there's this looking forward and being scared of what's ahead. And so the Apostle Paul raises the issue of our fears in chapter 8 in verse 15. Look there with me. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Now the Apostle Paul in Romans 6 there spoke frequently of the issue of slavery. Over and over again, if you just did a word search on Romans 8, uh, on the book of Romans, Romans 6 would just kind of pop up and you'd have about a dozen references to, to slavery there, just all over the place. So the slavery that Paul is referring to here is very likely what we would call the slavery to sin. It's a slavery to sin that messes up our hearts and makes us fall back into fear of God. Not the right kind, but the terror of Him that makes us want to get away from Him, which is the fearing of His judgment, His wrath, His condemnation, or the fear of situations and the loss of things that, that are dear to us. Our comforts or our pleasures or our status. And so Paul raises the issue of our fears. He raises it in the context of slavery to sin. So let's break that down. First is the slavery of pleasure. One of the challenges for us in following Jesus is his call to self-denial. That there is this call to deny ourselves instant gratification of earthly pleasures. Not for the purpose that that act qualifies us for anything, but for the purpose of pushing that out to make room for, to bring in the proper pleasures of God. The pleasures of fellowship with Him. The pleasures of fellowship with the, the brothers and sisters. The pleasure of fellowship with a whole and healthy family. The pleasure of fellowship with God. And so we push aside, deny those earthly pleasures. We could easily be enslaved to our pleasures. And not rightly follow Jesus because we're afraid He's going to take something from us. Something like our comfort. Something like our status. Something like our advantage or our power. Something like our prominence or our community standing. And the Apostle Paul says the Spirit of God is giving you a disposition that keeps you from worrying about that. If you're worried about your status, if you're worried about your rejection, if you're worried about losing your comforts, I want to share with you something very clear. That's not from God. It's not from His Spirit. If you're captivated by fear, if you're led by fear, it's not because that's the leadership of God's Spirit. So Paul says the disposition that God has given you is a spirit not of fear. second kind of slavery that fear is running on is the slavery of preservation. We fear losing our life. We fear losing our health. 
We fear all kinds of things. Some people have said to me, I, I can't ever do international missions because I can't get on an airplane. I just fear flying. Just very frankly, that's not from the Spirit of God. Any fear that grounds you and keeps you from doing what God may be calling you to do. I don't think everybody's called to do international missions, so don't mix that up. But if fear is the thing keeping you from your next door neighbor or from Guatemala or Honduras or China or whatever, then it's important to know that's not from God. That's a fear driven by a slavery to preservation. We're wanting to keep something that we can't keep. It really doesn't matter how hard you try, you can't keep from dying. You can't. You can try really hard. You can exercise and eat right. I'm for both of those. You can be careful. Every time my kids leave the house, they hear me say the same stupid thing. Be careful. Like they're not. But I just say it. Why? Because I, I just I, I care for them. But no matter how much care that we take, now I'm not encouraging carelessness. I don't believe in that. No matter what you do in your struggle to stay alive, you're going to die. And if that is holding you, let me show you what it's doing. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Look at this slavery that the book of Hebrews calls to our attention. The slavery of trying to preserve what we don't own and can't hold on to. Hebrews chapter 2. Look in verse 14. Well, that's music. I love those pages turning. Since the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise also partook of the same. That through his death he might render powerless the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. What's he saying? He's saying that by Jesus' death you don't have to be afraid to die. You don't have to be afraid of your airplane crashing. You don't have to be afraid of your car crashing. You don't have to be afraid of the heart attack. You don't have to be afraid of whatever it is. You don't have to fear that anymore. Jesus has put death to death. Listen, believer, I want to share something with you very important. Now that you're a Christian, death has to serve you. Please hear me. Now that you're a Christian, death has to serve you. You ever been to a wedding where there was formal seating? You ever been to a wedding, formal seating wedding? You go in the back and, and, and an usher meets you. And they say, bride or groom. If you're not prepared for that, you're like, well, I'm for both of them. <laughs> no, but, but they're asking, I mean, who are you related to? I'm not against either. Let's, but they're going to take you and they're going to sit you on one side. So they start you down the aisle and then they sit you down in a place that is your place now. Now listen carefully. Here's what death has to do for you, believer. Death meets you. And the only thing He can do is take you to Jesus. He is now your usher. And He is going to take you and He's going to seat you at 
the table with Jesus. He now serves you. His power has been stripped. All He can do now is safely deliver you to the arms of Jesus. What the writer of the Hebrews says is Jesus has removed this fear. You don't have to be afraid of dying. You don't have to... Miss Wanda was so sweet. Don't you just love Wanda Roberts? I miss her sitting right there. Family's right there today. I'm so glad to see you. Listen, I miss her every Wednesday and every Sunday. I miss her. Every time she kind of came up in here, especially in the last five or six years when she was so, so weak and struggling, man, she removed all of our excuses for not being here that day. <laughs> she just came in and like, my excuse for being out the week before is like, it's dead. Listen, she said to me, she said, Bart, this was right toward the end. She's laying in her hospital bed and she, with that wry grin that she always had, she says, Bart, I'm not afraid to die. I'm just not excited about the trip to get there. She knew there was going to be some suffering in what she went through. And she did. She did suffer some. But listen carefully. The slavery of preservation is that slavery which will keep you from doing God's will. It will. And you may try to write it off on the Spirit, but it's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit that you have received is not a spirit of fear. Now let me mention one thing here in the midst of this and then finish with this idea of fear. We should rightly fear God. Jesus warned us. I'll tell you whom to fear, He said. Fear Him who after the killing of the body can destroy your soul in hell. Yes, I say to you, fear Him. Jesus said that we were to rightly fear God. The psalmist says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The Proverbs writer said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Why would we say we're not going to be afraid and to fear God? Well, we know. We even sing it. We don't think of it as a contradiction. We sing it in the national anthem of Baptists. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found with blind eyes. Now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to and grace my fears. When we rightly order Our fear of God, other fears cease to have control. They don't leave. Let me give you an example. (laughs) We travel to Ecuador each year. God has allowed us to do some great ministry there. You've been so faithful bringing water to five communities, pure, filtered, potable water into homes Hundreds of homes now with drinking water because of your faithfulness and your teams. And so many have heard the gospel as a result. And we baptized a number. It's been really beautiful. But when we go there, we live in these old rickety thatch huts with dirt floors. And they've got bugs in them. How many of you hate roaches? If you're a roach hater, let me see a hand. You know, I think it's almost universal. I just really don't meet a lot of folks that, man, I just love roaches. <laughs> I just, I don't know those guys. And, and so, uh, I, I hate it. In fact, nowhere in the Bible, you know, when the, the psalmist is extolling, when I see the moon and stars and the works of thy hands, he doesn't go, and we love roaches too. It's just not in there. It talks about beautiful things like birds singing when we sing songs and hymns, but we don't ever say, and boy, do we love the roaches. We just hate them. And so, there are roaches everywhere in Ecuador. They're just there everywhere. One night, John LaCour, 
middle of the night. I'm so tired. It's one of those long days. And I hear John. John has this very low voice. And, and it sounds just like this. Pastor Bart. If you know John, I'm just exactly. Pastor Bart. So I wake up. It's like 2.30 in the morning. And I think, am I dreaming? Am I hearing voices out here? And so I listen and I hear it again. Pastor Bart. I said, John, is that you? Yes, sir. What do you need? There's a spider on me. I said, what? There's a spider on me. I can't move. I said, oh man. So I'm kind of sitting up trying to shake the spider spider webs out of my head, cobwebs. So I sit up and about that time he says, never mind. So what was it? He said, it was a roach. Listen. When you finally meet the spiders in Ecuador, you will find that having a roach on you is actually a relief. I am dead serious. One night I'm asleep, I'm laying there, I'm I'm just as skivvy as I can skivvy and, and be in the jungle, and this varmint runs from the tip of my toe all the way up over my face as fast as it can run, and I'm thinking, spider. So I said, lay there for a minute to make sure he's all the way off of me. And I jump up and turn my flashlight on, shine over in the corner. I said, oh, it's just a roach. All right, listen, I hate roaches. But my fear of spiders has properly ordered my fear of roaches. I will not hurt myself to get a roach off of me. I'll hurt myself to get a spider off of me. It's totally different. Listen, when you get your fear of God right... It is going to order your other fears so that things that used to dominate now simply irritate. Listen to me. Things that used to dominate now simply irritate. When you get your fear of God right, it allows you to put these other fears in their right place and they no longer hold slavery or lordship over you. And then finally, the slavery of performance. How am I doing? There are three areas here. Performance by my own standards and always never living up to them and hating myself because of it. I've talked to many people who struggle with that. They even doubt their salvation because of it. Because their performance doesn't live up to their own standards. And the Lord wants you to be free from the fear of that. That's not what the Spirit of God is doing. If you're hating on yourself from your performance, listen carefully, that is not from the Holy Spirit. Would you write that down if that's your struggle? Would you just go ahead and make a note? That when that self-loathing and hatred comes and you're hating on yourself for your performance, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's not His work. He is not putting you back into slavery again to performance. He's leading you to rejoice in Christ's finished work on your behalf. Also, the performance for others. Always worried about what everybody else thinks. Are you a slave to that? Is that what your whole Facebook thing is about? Trying to give something out there to get a certain number of likes? Is that what your Instagram's about? You're living your life for these likes and for these approvals and for these thumbs up, but down in your soul you're never satisfied. You're always fearing they don't really like you. They don't really approve you. Listen carefully. You don't have to be a slave to that anymore because in Jesus Christ, God has already given His like. He has. And He approves you through Jesus Christ. Also, the slavery of performance before God. Some of you are struggling with that. 
You're just always saying, I'm just never good enough. I just never do enough. I don't go to church enough. I don't read my Bible enough. I don't do all those things enough. I just don't think God's going to save me and let me into heaven until I can get those things right. Listen, it's never been about your performance. It hasn't. I want you to make sure you work this deeply into your heart. The Holy Spirit of God is not beating you up about your performance in order to get you into heaven. He wants you to rejoice in the Lord that makes you want to do those things like be with the believers in church, be with the believers in small group, be with the believers in Sunday school, be with the believers in fellowship throughout the week, be in the Word. He wants you to want those things, but He is not condemning you because you don't have those things all in perfect order. The slavery of performance. Listen carefully. Many of you today, you are paralyzed by this. And it has got a hold on you in such a way that you're not moving forward. You're hung. Listen carefully. That paralysis is not from the Holy Spirit. It's not His work. The second way that Paul deals with it is he reassures us through the identity of our Father. Through the identity of our Father. One of the ways that the court system works in the United States is um, that whoever is the Father, that's the one whose name's on the birth certificate or the one whose DNA is tested to prove uh, fatherhood, uh, that's the person that has a level of responsibility for provision. Unless adoption has occurred, that, um, that responsibility is held by the state as a serious responsibility. And there are actually fines and laws and things that, that go with that because fatherhood has responsibility with it. When God allows you to call Him Father, when He allows you the intimacy of calling Him Daddy, He is allowing you to know that He is assuming responsibility to get you to heaven from where you are today. To provide everything that you need between now and then according to His riches and according to His estimation for your needs and to get you safely home. That's God's job. It's not your job. You cannot conduct yourself from here to heaven by your own strength, ability, wisdom, will, or power. God alone has that. Now, He lets us into this relationship. Notice in God's Word here. It says in verse 15, You've not received a spirit of slavery. This is back in Romans 8. Leading to fear again. But you've received a spirit of adoption. This is that Spirit of God in us that lets us know the identity of our Father. Who's your dad? Who's your daddy? Who's your father? God is. The Spirit is testifying in us that we are His children. And so Paul reassures us first through adoption. He says you have been made adopted sons and daughters of the living God. This is very important. What the Scripture is teaching us here is that God has chosen you. He picked you out of the orphanage. He walked up. He looked. He saw you. 
And he said, I'll take him. I'll take her. That one's mine. Yep, let's, let's do the paperwork. And then at the cross, he does all the paperwork, signed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and he adopts us into his family. We are adoptees. We have received all the rights and the privileges of being the children of God. Sons and daughters of the living God. So he says it there. He says, adoption as sons. Well, the second way that Paul assures us is with intimacy. He uses this very intimate term, this very sweet term that little children called and that older children used as an affectionate term of endearment. He uses the word Abba. It's not the standard word for the description of parentage. It's not simply an indication that this is a genealogical or biological or adoptive connection. It's actually a word spoken relationally by the child to the father. When we were in Ecuador one year, we spent the first night in the jungle. It's funny, I get some of my scary stories out of Ecuador. So, I spent the first night in the jungle. We'd never spent the night out there before. And we were all there together. The men were in one hut, the women were in another hut. We were with David Garza and his family. And uh, so the guys are over here, the girls are over here. And all of a sudden we hear this noise. And it's the craziest noise I've ever heard. And it was this rock sound. And so we're all just laying there. We didn't even have doors on our huts back then. And so we're just laying there going, something's going to get us. And then we heard the sound again. Rock! And it was closer. So I thought, I don't know what this is, but it's scaring me. And then it gets a little closer. And rock! I'm like, okay, I'm trying to be cool. You know, you're, you're like a leader here. <laughs> he, crying and, and all those things not going to help you right now <laughs> and then literally and I'm not kidding you whatever it was lands on the hut <laughs> and this little bitty voice comes from the next hut and it's Raquel Garza she was about 12 and I hear her go Papi that's the Spanish Abba Okay? Poppy! Wasn't a person in the jungle didn't know what that was about. That was a child calling her daddy, her poppy, to come and get her. It took David a minute. <laughs> it's like, what do you think it is? I don't know. But you're going to have to go get your daughter. <laughs> You know the term of endearment. Every family's got them. And this was the term that a child said to their father in times of need, times of distress, times of affection, times of emotion. Abba. And so here, Paul says, 
This is the kind of relationship we have with God. We're not talking about the God like the royals in England where the children are raised by nannies and the father can't be approached unless he asks for them. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about boldly going before the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And when we arrive at the throne, we get to say, "Um, Poppy, can you help me? Can you come to my rescue? There's an intimacy here that the Apostle Paul says, you've got to settle that this is real. You've got to deal with your fears and you've got to settle the fatherhood issue. It has to be settled. God, our Father, our Poppy. And then, the last assurance that he gives is the assurance with responsibility or by responsibility. One of the things that back in the day that they held very highly in esteem, it's not so much today as that dads understood their responsibility to provide for their children. A lot of stuff going on today, you have this, you hear the word deadbeat dad. Just, that just makes me cringe if I hear that. Because I think, what, what, what kind of dad really doesn't want to provide for his children? I, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't fathom that. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. But God's not like that. God is the absolute perfect Father who understands His responsibility. Listen, the person in charge of getting you from now to heaven is not you. Please hear me. You're not in charge. God has assumed total responsibility for His children to keep them from now until then. That's what He does. He does it through provision and protection. God knows how many days you have left on earth. He's going to use those to His glory and your good. And so God is assuming responsibility for all those who place their faith through Christ in Him. That's what He's doing right now. He's making sure you get there. He's working through all your circumstances. This is why later Paul can say... God works all things together for good for those who love Him, for those who are the called according to His purpose. He works all these things out. Neither height nor depth nor any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. All these things flow together. Now, I had more I wanted to share today, but I'm going to tag that in next week because I really can bring this to a place right now to challenge you and ask you a couple of questions. The first question I want, just, I want you to think this through because I'm going to kind of make my invitation out of this question. The first question is, what are you afraid of? What is it? What's your thing? Is there something out of order in your fears? So that the fear of God has been diminished and lowered and the fear of something else has been raised above it. So that your fears are out of order now and no longer does the right fear of the Lord order your fears so that they only become irritants rather than things able to control us or dominate us. Is there something, is it your, is, are you still scared of death? Are you, are you still afraid of that? Is that messing with you right now? Maybe you're aging or you're sick or you're just young and you're just scared to die. 
Is that it? I want you to know Jesus has already tasted death so that if you trust Him, you'll never even know what it tastes like. Did you hear me? For the believer, you will really never know what death tastes like. Because what Jesus has done, He has tasted death for us so that we are free from what death really is. Death is now my servant. He's coming to get me. He's already on my calendar. But I can't see the day. He's already coming. And He has to work for me that day. That day when he when death clocks in to work on the day of my death, he'll clock in as my employee. And he will have to come and serve me. And he will have to bring me to the greatest thing I've ever seen. The face of Jesus. Jesus wants to remove your fear of death. He wants to remove your fear of loss of comfort. I want to tell y'all, I'm going to just confess... That's my deal. I struggle with loss of comfort. There's something about my wiring that I struggle with that. It's messed me up in some ways. I don't like it. It's made me want things, buy things, treasure things above what their real eternal value is. I'm working through that. I hate it. It makes me really angry when God makes me have to look at it and see it for what it is. Maybe it's fear of what people think. Maybe that's what's working on you right now. You're so worried about what somebody, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, uh, some pursuit that you have, a parent, a child, a spouse, a friend, a family member, and you're so worried about what they think that you're paralyzed. So I want to ask you, what are you afraid of? Have you rightly ordered your fears so that those things that used to dominate now simply irritate. Get those things in order. Be a great day today to come down to this altar and kneel and say, God, order my fears. They're out of order. Some of you are captivated by the fact you're afraid of your children dying. You're afraid of something bad happening to your grandchild. And it has so captivated you that you're out of order. And it's eating at you. You're not sleeping right. You're not resting right. You've become a helicopter parent or a helicopter grandparent. And you think you control the destiny and day of exit for your child. Please let that back into the hands that it's really in. It's in God's hands. Second question, not just what do you fear. Who's your daddy? Can you right now... Just from deep down in your heart. Say, Poppy. When you're scared. Can you right now, from deep in your heart, go to the throne of mercy and grace and understand that the one sitting on that throne is your Poppy. And He has adopted you. He wants intimacy with you. And He has assumed all the responsibility of delivering you safely to His house. Bring you home. Would you bow with me? Our invitation is threefold. First, based on the two questions. Would you bring your fear down here? 
at this altar and would you kneel and lay it down and confess it? Would you come take the hand of a minister or maybe a brother and sister in the, in the crowd here today and say, look, this is what I'm afraid of and it's messing with me. I need some help. Would you confess it and let Jesus address it? Would you be able to come down here and kneel down and say, Poppy, I need you. Poppy, I need you. I come to you in the name of Jesus. I need you. Others of you, you're here today and you just need Jesus. You need someone who will take the fear of death and bring you into the family and make God your Father and that's Jesus Christ. If you would turn from your sin right now and place your faith in Jesus, God will receive you as His own child. He will make you His son, His daughter. Would you pray with me and ask Him? God in heaven, heard this good news today. Sinner like me could be made your child. <laughs> I want that. So I'm turning away from my sin. And I believe Jesus Christ died for my sin. That He was raised from the dead. And I place all of my hope in Him. Take me as your child. Make me your own. If you prayed that prayer today in the earnestness of your heart, I know that God hears. And He has promised something in Romans 10. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good news. Would you stand as God works in your heart? Would you come?